This is Donna Otto, and we are Modern Homemakers. Thank you for joining us, and thank you for your emails and letters and contributions with notes. Someone simply sent a lovely donation and said, thanks for delving into the last words of Christ. What a nice thing to say, and it's quite easy for us to do. So come again. Come again, and we'll do it again. Uh, this will happen again at Modern Homemakers next year about this time. We'll take these 40 plus days to prepare our hearts to be readied to experience this week of weeks that we have just experienced. There'll be different material, but it'll all be based on the same few passages of scripture, the whole life of Christ. And I don't know how it will look next year, but we'll do it again. Set the time aside. Would you get it on your calendar? Carve out the time and interest in these 40 days before Easter. It will come again. It will come again. Don't get caught up in the accuracy of things. I think so often we we want all the details. Well, part of that is the information society that we live in. We do live in a very information-based culture. Yes, it's a technological culture, but that technology gives us information. How many dinner parties have you been at lately when someone says, I'll get that answer? We were at a dinner party just recently with, with two other couples. There are just six of us. We are trying to think of the author. of and, and someone started to pull out their phone and someone else said, no, let's see if we can do it. That was my sentiment, so I was glad it was done. Well, lots of things that we've heard in these last days, and I want you to know that I'm going to start a five-part series in listening. Ouch. You know, when I say ouch, I always say that because when I start something like that, it's an ouch to me, too. I'm already deep in preparation for these lessons, and I feel greatly convicted at my lack of listening to everyone and everything. So I hope you'll join us, I guess, for the torture of the truth and the reminders of uh, his intentions for us to care for one another. During this season on waiting and preparing, I did several things and studies and readings. And so I wanted to take this time as we are um, Easter Monday, some of the schools that are Christian-based schools have the Monday off. I think that's quite lovely. The first we did was the week of weeks reading. Uh, we talk about that every year. It's been available on our website for a very long time, as is the Easter basket. And yes, I'm still making the Easter basket. Uh, when we moved, I had to get rid of the large uh Hershey's chocolate kiss that you buy during February because I would just put it in the freezer and then bring it back out. Nobody ever ate it. But I couldn't do that in the move in Arizona, so I got rid of it, and then I couldn't find one. And then Halloween, or Halloween, uh, Valentine's Day came and went, but good old Amazon. I pushed in the buttons, and out came a nine-ounce 
Hershey Kiss. So we did the basket. I'm still doing it. It's still a friendly reminder for each of the symbols that are in that basket. The week of weeks reading the Synoptic Gospels and the Passion Gospel of John, where we read through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, describing everything that Christ did the entire week from Sunday morning, Palm Sunday, through um, Easter Resurrection. On the long days of reading, like Tuesdays and Wednesdays, I read through it in three sections. I start in the morning, I pause wherever I am, and uh, take another 15 or 20 minute reading uh, in midday and finish it up at night. The notion that coming was often he calls us to come, to prepare. I was so deeply touched this year by the preparation I the, the parables in Matthew 24 and 25, the ten virgins, the wise and evil servants, the talents. Oh, there it is. Uh, it, it's me again. Um, it's ouch day, followed by, oh, it's such a good thing to be reminded of what he did with the talent. Remember, he takes it and hides it. He hides it. He was afraid that God would chastise him if he didn't bring back a great reward. And what does God say to him? These these parables, the sheep and the goats, they are great reminders of our need for preparation. He says to the virgins, some of you are prepared and some of you are not. And the virgins say to each other, will you share? They can't share. They can't give up what they prepared for because it's their preparation for being with Christ. I thought of my dear Uncle Sam and Aunt Ruth, who are both gone now from this earth, but they lived lives that I watched since I was a young child. And when I think of a life of preparedness, it was the two of them. Uh, How they met, how they were married, the children they raised, the small house they bought that they stayed in when they could have afforded something else because they knew they weren't going to need it and they had these two daughters who were going to go away. And sure enough, they ended their life in that house. It was perfect and no one loved to go there as much as I did. Then I had a lovely private retreat that a friend of mine had written and sent to me. Her name is Susan Phillips and maybe next year I'll be able to talk her into letting us put this up on site. It on our website. It's a daily remembrance this last week of weeks. And it's a time of music, a time of poetry, a time of short readings, certainly passages of scripture, and it's a time of reflecting questions, reflective questions that she prepares. And I faced, during this week of weeks time, I faced some of the evasions of relationships in my life. That was another ouch, oh, ouch. Yes, Lord, it stings when I face it, but oh, it feels so well in my soul to having opened the can of this reflective question that Susan's private retreat provided. Lastly, during two separate days of the Lenten readings, I was reminded by two truths that revealed to me something that I think God says to us over and over and over again. So on this last remembrance of Easter 2021, I'd like to describe them to you. 
The first is Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, and I'm going to just read this one verse to you. It's a verse you're familiar with. He says, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Have you stopped at that one in your lifetime? I'm a long way from childhood and getting further away every day. Which reminds me, I never told you what 75 things I did for celebrating 75 years. Well, I took 75 pieces of paper and wrote a quote, a word, or a passage and gave them all away. That's what I did for 75 years. So I'm a long way from childhood, and I hear, um, is it Nicodemus or Zacchaeus who says, shall I enter my mother's womb and do it again if I'm going to be born again? How do I get born again? And I ask, um, as a responsible adult, using what God has given me, and what does it mean to be like a child? Is that irresponsible? I think there are many things about childhood that I rather like. Like, one of them is that someone's always fixing your meals. Now, I love to cook, and I love to cook brand new recipes. The first time I make a recipe, I love it. I have such delight in it. Sometimes I take pictures of it because I make it more presentation style, and there it is. The next time I cook it, nah, it never tastes quite as good, isn't quite as fun, and I think I should just continue new recipes. And, but the everyday cooking of making sure there's food in the house for the two of us three times a day or two times a day and a dinner meal, and my husband and I have stayed very faithful to sitting down at the table with a meal in the evening. It's a way to end our day. It's a way to be together and talk about what's been going on in our days. So we do that. We do that most days. So the very idea of becoming a childlike is self-contradictory to me. So you, as you can imagine, I, um, don't, I don't do it very gracefully or easily. Shall I copy childlike behavior? Is that what he's asking me to do? Well, the next few verses remind me of an even more important event uh, or part of this passage because Jesus goes on to say, after he says you will never enter in the kingdom of heaven, whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Pretty powerful stuff. And then he goes on to say, if any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you to have a great millstone where it fastened around your neck and you were drowned in the depths of the sea. Very kind words, aren't they? Not at all clear. <laughs> he tells his disciples, don't send them off. Let them in. Again, there, there were the disciples saying, 
remember what the culture is. Women, children, anything that isn't male, a man, is less, is less. Just flip over in your Bible if you have it near you or look, write it down to read it later. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. People were bringing their children in to him in order that he might touch them. And the disciples spoke sternly to them, to the parents and to the children. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. I think Jesus is showing me, again, another one of those ouches, ouch, ouch. I remember reading child psychology information about how to raise a child to be this sort of free child. This, this child who freely comes to God. That was, you know, how do you train your children? What do you give them so that they are prepared to say yes to Christ? That, that's, that's all parents can hope to do. No one can make someone say yes to Christ. But I know that forcing a child, being forced as a child or forcing a child, oh, there it is, another ouch for me today, because I was forced, and I forced my daughter. And I, I guess I'd probably have to ask for forgiveness for fussing over my parents who forced me, and then forcing my daughter to do the same sort of things. What does that mean, forcing? Well, that we're, we're issuing mandates of a sort that we believe if they do this, that that will happen. And that, that's not... That's not at all what Christ is saying here. What he's saying is let them come and let them come freely because they want to come freely because they because it is a part and um, parcel of who they are as children. For me, that was probably a generational cycle in our family that needed to be broken. And Jesus is the good healer. Jesus showed the adults. See how they come needy glad to be held, not ashamed of their desires. And as I type that in my computer, preparing for today's podcast, I started to cry. I thought to myself, I don't come that needy. Do I come so needy that I am glad for Jesus to hold me and I'm not ashamed of my desire to need to be held? I don't. I often come quite knowing, quite on top of it. I certainly come to these podcasts to tell you things and to inform you. I don't come weeping and saying, what I really want and what was so clear to me in one of the days of my readings during Lenten, that being childlike was being totally dependent on God. Oh, that's a real ouch, isn't it? Because I'm not t totally dependent. I'm intermittently dependent. And dependent on how severe the crisis is. How much suffering and pain do I have? 
before I finally say, here am I, take me, hold me, care for me, show me. My dear friend Sandra Wilson, who you've met on these broadcasts soon, who wrote the book Into Abba's Arms, I will never forget her describing to me the essence of why she wanted to write that book. And she said she, she remembered having a time when she was quiet and vulnerable. How's that for you? Are you quiet? Are you vulnerable? Not my strong suits. I'm learning. But she was quiet and vulnerable, and she had this absolute clarity that she was climbing up. And I don't know, to this day, I can see it looking like Mr. Lincoln in the rotunda in Washington, D.C., that big. And she was climbing up to get into his lap, calling him Abba Father. I think personally this is why we stay away from prayer. Because when we come to God in prayer, we come leaning in, we come needing to be held, we come prepared to be enfolded and embraced. And and I think we don't want to do that. And certainly we live in a culture that encourages us not to do that. We're strong, independent, capable. Let me show you how well we can do it. Let me compete in showing you how well I can do it over what you can do. Competition is huge in our culture. In Psalm 131, which has been a psalm, I, I don't know. I often say that, don't I? This may be my favorite. No, I can't say of a favorite psalm, but I can say that this psalm has come back to me many times. Oh, Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. My soul is like a weaned child within me. I can still remember the moment I read those two verses of the three verses called A Quiet Trust, and it's a psalm by David, Psalm 131. My, oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up, my eyes are not raised up. I suddenly realized that I, I was crashed. I, I wasn't lifted up. I wasn't smart. I didn't occupy myself. I, there were things that I wasn't thinking about that were too great and too marvelous, which I always think about. Like, what's the bigger? What, what more can we do? How can I? And here I was. I was calmed and quieted in my soul like a weaned child. Like a weaned child. There was the picture of that childlike nature, the weaned child who has left his mother's breast and is quieted and calm. I remember reading um, child-rearing books many decades ago, and I wish I could remember the title of this book. Maybe it'll come to me. But he drew this picture of the emotional strength little children get. And he said, now think about your smallest child probably just learning to walk. And that child has walked away from you five feet or seven feet or ten feet, but you note they turn around to make sure you're still there. And then they come running back. And then they go a little further, and they go a little further, 
and they go a little further, and then one day they drive off your car out of the garage. I was just transformed with the fact that what God is calling us to do is be like that little child, that we are called to to walk away, but not so many steps that I don't look back and say, here I am. Here I am, totally dependent on you. Now it takes quiet, it takes listening. We're going to talk a little bit more about listening and hearing and how hearing and obeying are aligned with one another in the weeks to come. But let me just say that to be calm and quiet before the Lord is a practice. It's a practice that you practice until you learn it and you understand it and you can do it with great regularity. It's not five minutes with God. It's not at all like that. It is like the small child who comes when they're frightened and needy, and when they see Christ, they run to him and he enfolds them. The last thing that happened this Easter was a day that I was reminded of the woman who anointed Jesus with everything. That oil... That expensive, fragrant oil. And the scripture is so clear. It says to us that he was dripping with oil. Have you ever dripped with oil? I I don't think I've ever dripped with oil. Maybe oil on my hands if I overspilled it, but not aromatic, expensive, fragrant oil. It reminded me of... Queen Esther, my mother's name was Esther Hadassah in her language, and uh, Queen Esther did not become queen until she had had 30 days in oil. That's a phrase in the scripture. She had 30 days in oil. I want to tell you, I don't know where you live or how old you are, but I promise you, 30 days in oil, you would look a lot better than you do. <laughs> we live in this dry desert, and I think 30 days in oil, yeah, I'd look like a babe ready to be presented to the king. Ooh la la. That's what they did. The concubines were constantly being oiled and remolded and shaped and formed and ready to meet the king. And Esther had never met him, never had been with him. But she was being prepared for that. 30 days in oil. On Palm Sunday in our church, we read as a congregation. Now, that's kind of an unfair thing to say, like a congregation. I think there might have been 20 of us. My husband and I were a part of it. We were grateful to be asked to be a part of it. And so there was a narrator and the voice of Jesus and a few other voices like Judas and Pilate. But then they were just... One or two lines spoken by a lot of people who are a part of the passion story. And it's read aloud in church. And we had to say, crucify him, crucify him. That was very powerful to me. I, I never want to say those words. But as a part of reading the passion story... I realized we not only said it, we said it aloud together as a church. And uh, I wonder about 
what I do to God, to Christ, to the Spirit, that that is like a crucifixion because it is thoughtless of me or uncaring. So it was a very powerful moment for me. But my Lenten reading of Jesus' response to the extravagant love of a not-named woman, a not-named woman, was that so we didn't put a name on her? Was that so we didn't name our children her? I don't know. She does it, and she is despised by all. And I thought this last week, how would I feel if I were despised by all? How would I feel if, remember the culture again, she's a woman, okay? She's going to be criticized, condemned, and they do. They criticize her, they condemn her. They say that the money she spent was senseless waste. They should have used it and given it to the poor. Who is to say but you and Jesus, what you do? Who is to say how you spend your money but you and Jesus? Are you willing to do something that others would despise, that they would criticize you and condemn you? Are you listening to him in this way that I think this woman must be listening to Jesus? And what happens is Jesus intervenes on her part and says, let her alone. Leave her alone. Stop this. Jesus comes to her defense right there and says, why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Jesus experiences the gift of oil as a gift from her heart to his heart. That's something else I want to talk a little bit about in, in the spring of this year, about what does his heart look like and what does your heart look like? Someone asked me about praying for grace. How did I feel about praying for grace? And I said, you know, I don't think I pray for grace. I pray for Jesus Christ, who is grace, to live in me and work out his way in me. This experience that this woman does to Jesus, he even refers to it as the anointing of his head before the burial. She has done in her deed what no one has publicly done. She has acclaimed him as if she were a priest or a prophet and saying, this is the Messiah. I anoint him with oil before the crowd, before his life is taken. Remember where she comes. She comes to Simon the leper's house. She comes with the perfume. She is a woman, and she anoints Jesus as if a high priest or prophet might. And Jesus, what did he say to her? What did he say to his disciples? This woman's story will be told for all times. And it is. So she reminded me of a listening voice to God and doing what he calls me to do bravely, graciously, courageously, bravely, graciously, courageously. And I want to end our time today by reading these powerful words. I can't tell you how many times I have taught this passage, read it, reflected on it, but it always comes afresh and anew to me. While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at a table, a woman came, that's who she is, a woman, 
came with an alabaster jar of costly ointment of nard, and she broke open the jar, poured the ointment on his head. But some were there who said to one another in anger, Why was this ointment wasted in this way? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has performed a good service for me. For you always will have the poor with you, and you can show kindness to them whenever you wish. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for its burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. I would just ask you to pause this week after Easter and read that passage and see if this time set apart in disciplines, in reminders, in refreshments, in readings, in all the things you might have done for this Lenten time has refreshed you to be a woman that is that brave and that courageous. We are Modern Homemakers, and I am Donna Otto. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make a very uncommon day of being courageous.